Well, good morning, friends. Welcome on this Monday morning. Hope you had a great Lord's Day last uh, yesterday. Um, well, Christmas is this week, and I thought we would take a break from our study of Philippians and dive into one of the uh, the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And of course, this time of year, as we uh, sing all the Christmas carols, uh, we sing, sometimes we're not even aware of how much we sing of the Old Testament uh, prophesying about the birth of Christ. Well, this week we're going to look at the one that is, uh, you know, maybe the most famous, and that is Isaiah's prediction that the uh, virgin would give birth to a son called Emmanuel. So we're going to look at that this week, and I think you'll find it pretty interesting and maybe discover some things that you you didn't know unless you really uh, dove into uh, to Isaiah in the past. Um, if you are joining us on uh, YouTube, you see I put a little poll there. I'd love for you to ch- check the box. For those of you on Facebook or Twitter or listening to this uh, later on, you can't obviously get access to the poll. So here's the question. And if you're on uh, Facebook or YouTube, uh, answer this question. And no cheating. Don't get to look this up. Just I want to know how many people know this off the top of their head. What century before Christ did Isaiah live and make his predictions? And in the poll, I gave you some options. Uh, 300s, 500s, 700s, 900s, I think, are the ones that I gave you. So if you know the answer to that, put it in the uh, the chat, and uh, we'll come back later and see how many people got it right. Again, no cheating. Don't look it up. Don't look at your study Bible. Don't glance down. Uh, just do you know when Isaiah made his prediction. So we're going to talk about all of that uh, today and through this week. Welcome, everybody. Uh, good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Keith. Uh, if you are new with us, then... Uh, I just want to say welcome to you. My name is Doug, and we gather here every morning, I'm sorry, every weekday morning, 7.30 Mountain Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and we study the Word of God together to renew our minds and and really understand what God has revealed. So glad you are with us. Uh, Today's a good day, not just because it's Monday, not just because it's the beginning of Christmas week and we're all looking forward to Saturday and gifts and time with family and all that. Today's a good day because Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are forgiven people. And so today is a good day. Good morning, Annalisa. Glad you joined us as well. So I want us to declare aloud together that it is a good day and make sure that our mindset is prepared to rejoice this morning. So you ready? I'll say my part, then you say yours. This is the day the Lord has made. That's right. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you happen to have a cup of coffee like I do, then it's time to taste and see just how good the Lord is. Let's sip together. Ah, Yes, the Lord is good. All right, so we're going to dive into Isaiah's prophecy, and we're going to start with the New Testament's fulfillment of that prophecy. So take a look here at Matthew chapter 1, of course, the the birth of our uh, Lord as, as told by Matthew. And in verse 18, we read this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. 
So just a little bit of context here for those of you who may not be aware of uh, the ancient Jewish culture. Uh, this betrothal was much like our engagement. Uh, you know, when a, when a man proposes uh, to a woman, uh, we say they are engaged, which is an interesting term in itself, right? <laughs> what are they engaged in? But they are, they are preparing to be married. Now, in our, in our current day, if, a, if an engagement is broken off, then, you know, we feel a bit of, of remorse for them. We wonder what happened. But there's a sense in which we say, well, that's good that they figured out that they didn't want to get married before they got married. Uh, so it's, it's serious from a, an emotional level and uh, just for our sentiments. But there was no binding contractual agreement at the engagement. That, that's not how it works in our culture. It's just a, a decision you make. But marriage, the, the wedding and the signing of the marriage license and the, the ceremony, all of those things are kind of uh, what gives marriage its, its binding uh, impact. In the Jewish culture, it was different. When you were betrothed, you were joined together and in every way, basically, except sexually consummating and living together, you were considered married. It was a it was a contractual agreement. And if there was any dowry that was uh, promised, you know, all that was taken care of. So in, in order to break off a betrothal in the Jewish culture, you had to actually get a divorce. So again, you were married pretty much in every way, except you weren't uh, sexually active. That was still considered sin. You had to wait until the actual wedding day. Uh, and almost every, and you didn't live together, but in pretty much every other way, you were considered married in the eyes of God and the eyes of the Jewish people. So Joseph here is betrothed to Mary, and he discovers that his, his fiance is pregnant, which obviously from Joseph's perspective means she's been unfaithful. It's the only explanation. He knows he hasn't been with her sexually. He assumes she's a virgin because that was the expectation of uh, this betrothal situation. And now she's pregnant. So there's only, only one conclusion. She has been with a man. And we see here in verse two, uh, verse 19 that he says he, Joseph, was a righteous man. And he knows what the law says. The law of God says since she has betrayed him, she is to be stoned to death. Now, this section is not so much about Mary. Luke gives us a little bit more from Mary's perspective, but think about what it was like for Mary, too, when she found out she was pregnant. Oh, no, what are people going to think? Joseph thinks what everybody would think. Oh, she's been unfaithful. He's a righteous man. She is to be executed. But it also says he didn't want to disgrace her. He loved her. And you can imagine the, the inner conflict and the turmoil uh, that would have gone on. He, he knows what the law requires. He loved her. He feels betrayed and jealous and all those things you would feel. He, he loved her enough to not want to publicly humiliate her and drag her out uh, in front of everyone and have her executed. And uh, he decided that if she's going to be um, 
disgraced and put to shame, which she would have been, uh, then he wasn't going to be the one to do it. So he decided to send her away secretly. Again, again, you can't hide the pregnancy, right? So she would eventually be found out, but he was going to let somebody else deal with that. And, uh, and because he loved her, apparently, and, but, but he knew the right thing to do. So he considered this, and that's, a, that's a, the word here. He gave it some serious thought. When he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. We, uh, we sing this song every Christmas, right? Mary, did you know? I was just uh, telling my family a little bit before we started here, I think I've successfully made it through this whole uh, Christmas season thus far and not heard that song one time. <laughs> It has become sort of popular to mock that, uh, that song. Uh, but as I read this passage, I think, Joseph, what did you know? And there is a, a fairly popular song about Joseph's perspective here as well. As a man, I think, what would I be thinking? An angel shows up and says, your wife is pregnant or your fiance is pregnant, but she's not been with a man. The Holy Spirit has put this child in her. Whoa, what a, what a fascinating uh, experience that must have been uh, for Joseph. So we go on and it says, uh, the, the angel says, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we all know that. We know who this is. This is Jesus. And we, we know why the name Jesus is the, uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, the Lord saves, and that's what he is to name this one. There's much more to be spoken of there, and we'll get to that uh, later this week. But I want to focus in on here the rest of this uh, statement, this uh, passage. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And now he quotes Isaiah, Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, notice here this, uh, this quote. Here in the New American Standard, which if you're watching along with me, you can see, uh, it has all caps here, which indicates that this is a direct quote from the Old Testament, and we, we know this is from Isaiah chapter 7. Now, I want to show you something. In the, uh, in the Greek, and you don't even have to read Greek to see what it is that I want to point out. So I'll pull up here for you. The, uh, the Greek is over here on the left, and the English, same that I just read to you over here on the right. Now, as you look, can you determine, can you see here in verse 23, the, the, uh, the quote from the Old Testament, do you see anything different from the English and the Greek? Now, again, you don't even need to, these are all the Greek words, and most of you probably don't have a clue what they are, but do you just look here at the English and look at the Greek? Do you see anything here in verse 23 that is different? I'm going to give you a moment to, uh, to comment in the chat here from uh, Facebook and YouTube. I can see your chat, so if you have any answer to this, what do you see? Just look, step back and just kind of look. Verse 23, and over here in the English and the Greek, do you see any difference? 
Uh, as I'm giving you a chance to look it over, let me just give you a little information here. We see in italics, if that's what you're going to guess, that's that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, in the uh, Greek translation here, they have put in italics uh, any quotations so that as you're reading the Greek translation, uh, you see that in italics, just like the English here has the capital letters, well, in the Greek here, they put it in italics if they want you to see that this is a, uh, a quote from the Old Testament. But there's one other thing we do in English to help us discern that it is a quotation. And I'm giving you a little bit of a hint there. There's one other thing we do in English to show that it is a quotation that may not be over here in the Greek. <laughs> and in case you haven't had your second cup of coffee yet and aren't getting my hint, it is the quotation marks. Do you see here in English, we have quotation marks. And over here, we do not have quotation marks. Now, I say all that, the quote is, is the same uh, either way, right? But the question is, who is it that is speaking this? Verses 22 and 23. He says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken of, spoken of by the Lord the prophet, and he gives us the quotation from the Old Testament. Who is saying this? Who's making this quotation? The way the English reads, and I'll take us back over to the, uh, the other view so that we can uh, see the broader picture here. The way the, the English reads is, we see this as Matthew, that Gabriel is saying, she will bear a son, and then Matthew says this all took place to fulfill. I think more likely, for technical reasons that I won't get into, that this is Gabriel who is still speaking. I think Gabriel is saying to jo Joseph, your fiance is going to bear a son, you'll name him Jesus, and Gabriel is saying all of this has taken place to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, whether or not that's true, whether Matthew wrote that or Gabriel said it, it doesn't have a huge bearing on the interpretation, but I think it's interesting to think that the angel is speaking this rather than Matthew. And here's why. I, I brought up earlier this song, Mary, Did You Know? And, you know, we like to mock that song. People mock it every time now. Mary, did you know? Yes, you know. You'll see all the memes. Yes, she knew. She knew all this. She knew all that. Well, we don't know all that Mary knew, just like we don't know all that Joseph knew. But the song is a rhetorical question, right? Mary, did you know the songwriter there is not actually inquiring whether or not Mary knew these things? It's a rhetorical question. And I actually think it's a great song. It's a, it's a beautiful song. And all of those statements that are being asked are to get us to ponder all that is true of Jesus. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save the nations and rule the nations? Did you know that this is the face of God you're kissing? And we're not supposed to really ask, did Mary know that? But to think, that's who this child was. This is the God of the universe. We looked at this in Philippians last week. He emptied himself of, of his, his godhood, not in the sense that he stopped being God, but he became a humble servant. He set aside his rights as God to become a slave and die on the cross. And, 
And that's this child. And as we ponder this baby that we see in all of these nativity scenes, we think that is God himself in flesh taking on human form. And we're to ponder that and, and be amazed by that. So it's an interesting question to think about how much Mary knew. But here's my question. How much did Isaiah know? And how much did Gabriel know as Isaiah made this statement and Gabriel quotes it, if I'm correct, that Gabriel quoted it? How much did they know? Do you know how much they knew? Here's why I ask. Peter, in his first epistle, what we call 1 Peter, gives us some very interesting uh, truth about prophets. Let me show you. He's speaking about our salvation that we now know is, is because of Christ. And he says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So this is Peter writing to the first century church, Christians like you and me, only they lived in the first century. The prophets prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So the, the salvation and the grace that came through Jesus, they made careful searches and inquiries. Who made that? The prophets did. So, so catch what he's saying. The prophets, such as Isaiah, when they prophesied of the coming grace, they made careful searches and inquiries. In the Greek here, this is intense. There, there are two words being used to describe a very purposeful scrutiny. So are you catching it? What is it that Isaiah was carefully scrutinizing? He was carefully searching out this prophecy he had made of the grace that would come to us. Verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings and the glories to follow, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So what that means is Isaiah predicted that the virgin would be with child and his name would be Emmanuel. But he did not know when and who that was talking about. He didn't have the whole picture. Do you see that? He wrote it. The Lord gave him the vision, gave him the words, gave him uh, what to say to Ahaz and to Israel, which we will look at tomorrow. So Isaiah said these things. He wrote these things, but he didn't understand the fullness of it. And he searched carefully to try to figure out when and who and what does this look like? So my wife loves to do puzzles. Do you like to do puzzles? I don't, I don't particularly like puzzles. They're okay. But my wife really loves to do puzzles. And one of the reasons she's able to do puzzles is she has the box cover, right? She has the box cover. And so as she dumps out all of the pieces she can begin looking to, to see how these pieces might fit together. And she has the picture, the final picture in view as she's looking. So she picks up this piece and it's got a, you know, three or four different colors on it. And she can look on the final picture 
and, and try to determine where this might fit. But how difficult would it be to try to put these pieces together if you had no idea of what the final product looks like? Well, we have the final picture. We know this is all about Jesus. And so now we go back and read Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and uh, Micah and so on. And we now can go and read and, and figure out how did all of these statements and these predictions that foretold of the coming of Jesus, how they fit together, what piece is this? So we can, we can pull out that piece and say, okay, that brown, that looks kind of like a uh, piece of hair maybe, and that looks more flesh colored, so that could be hand, and that's a different kind of color hair. Oh, maybe that's the dog, right? We can, we can see on the cover, this is a, a boy petting his dog. We know the final project is Jesus. So we pick out these individual predictions and we can examine them and say, oh, I now see how this portrays the story of Jesus. Isaiah didn't have the benefit of the full final picture. So he has this piece that the Lord has given him. And then the scripture, Peter tells us, he starts examining it, trying to figure out what role does this prediction play in the coming of the Messiah? He knew that much. He knew this was a time in his future that he was predicting the coming of the Messiah. But that's about as much as he knew. And so he says these words, this, this virgin will give birth and his name will be called Emmanuel. And now Peter says he had to inquire with great scrutiny and trying to figure out who, when. And he didn't know how far in advance. So the answer to the question, uh, good morning, Nate, and good morning, Karen. Glad you have joined us and the rest of you. If you missed the opening question, the poll question was, in what century did Isaiah make his predictions? Isaiah lived, we'll see how many of you got this right, he lived in the 700s BC. So when he made that statement that the virgin will be with child, he predicted this over 700 years prior to its fulfillment. Think about that. For over seven centuries, the people of Israel had to wait for its fulfillment. Peter's going to go on and say, the, the day of the Lord is very, very different. from his, his time reference is very different from ours, right? He says, I'm coming soon. And we think, yeah, 2,000 years isn't soon. <laughs> when are you coming, Lord? Well, Isaiah starts predicting this, this girl is going to be with child. And everyone thinks, what girl? That girl or that girl? And when? And century after century after century passes and it's not fulfilled until Gabriel shows up and says, this is to fulfill what Isaiah predicted. They had to wait. Isaiah had to wait. He didn't know. And that's what Peter tells us. He, he was searching carefully to know what person, what time the spirit of Christ was indicated as he predicted the sufferings and the glories to follow. And, but he gets more. Peter says, it was revealed to them, that is to the prophets, that they were not serving themselves. So the prophets weren't serving the prophet. Isaiah wasn't serving the, himself, Isaiah. He was serving you, the first century church, and us in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then look at, he adds this. Things into which angels long to look. Isn't that interesting? Even the angels didn't understand the whole story, the whole plan. 
Do you ever ponder that? I recently taught through First Peter in our New Covenant School of Theology course. And we were wrestling with this and some of the other statements here. And we were pondering angels. Angels, there, there are no saved angels. You ever thought about that? We, you and I as Christians, we know something that even angels don't know. We know redemption. See, the Bible says there are fallen angels. We know Satan and all, and all the demons that, uh, that have uh, re- rebelled against God. We call them fallen angels. And we know there are elect angels or, or you know, good angels that, that stay faithful to God. But there aren't any saved angels. Because Jesus did not take on the form of an angel and die on the behalf of angels. No, he took on human form and died on behalf of humans. So fallen angels stay fallen, and the elect angels stay elect. They stay righteous. And so an angel doesn't understand experientially what it's like for the Son of God to die on the cross for him. And we're told here, these angels didn't even understand the plan of God as they unfolded. They longed to look at this plan. I, I, I picture it this way that 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the angels are watching and, you know, maybe one of them was sent to give this message to Isaiah. We don't know exactly how this came about, but they're watching and and they're hearing Isaiah predict that there's going to be this massive sign, this, this miraculous sign of a virgin giving birth. Isaiah would have understood that's not how it works. Virgins don't get pregnant. The angels would have understood that's not how it works. Angel, uh, virgins don't get pregnant. And God says, no, there's going to be a, a virgin who does get pregnant without knowing a man. And he's, uh, she's going to give this name to her child, Emmanuel. And both Isaiah and the angels now start pondering, what is this girl? Who is this girl? Who is this child? And they watch year after year. Isaiah, of course, dies and the angels are watching year after year. And then imagine, finally, Gabriel is told by God, okay, it's time. Gabriel, I want you to go down there and appear to this man, Joseph, and reveal to him what is happening. He's distraught, Gabriel. He just found out his fiance is pregnant. You go down there and tell him, that it's okay. His fiance has not betrayed him. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah predicted. And I want you to go tell Mary herself, it's okay. The one inside her has been conceived by the Most High God and he'll be called the Son of the Most High God. It is time. Messiah has come. And you can imagine the, the rejoicing in heaven as the angels say, finally, we've been waiting all along for seven centuries for all this to take place. And they watch as the events unfold. And they see 
all of this come to pass and the and the angel i mean the 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 virgin gives birth and they name this baby Emmanuel and, and now all the predictions are coming to pass and this boy grows up into a man and this is the messiah and the jews are excited and the angel are excited and everybody is celebrating and rejoicing because finally god is going to fulfill all of his plan for israel and the messiah is going to lead israel out of slavery to the Romans, and he's going to conquer the Romans and conquer the whole world and bring all of the promises and blessings to the nation of Israel. The Messiah has come. And imagine what was going on in the angelic realm as they watch as the Jews betray Jesus and they clamor for his crucifixion. And the angels watch, waiting, waiting for the signal as they watch the Romans beat him and crucify him. And the angels waiting there because they just know any minute the, the, the God is going to say, okay, now go and strike down those Romans, deliver Jesus from that cross and put him on the throne of, of the Jews, on the throne of David. And the signal never comes. It never happens. I can only imagine how distraught the angels were, how confused they were that God allows his son to be crucified. See, they didn't know. We asked, did Mary know? Did Isaiah know? Apparently the angels didn't even know. Did you, did you see that? These are the things, he says, this whole plan of salvation These are things into which angels long to look. They didn't know the plan. And they were amazed until they see Jesus raised from the dead. And then they're told, you guys go down there, roll that tomb away. My son is coming out. He's alive. And then... The rest of human history and the true fulfillment, all, all of this comes to pass. What an amazing thing. God's story that nobody knew the full fulfillment of it. So how much did Isaiah know? Well, we don't know that for sure. We're told here that he longed to know. He was surging into it. We're going to go back tomorrow and the rest of the week And we're going to see what the context, the historical context of this prediction from Isaiah is and see what was going on in the nation, what Isaiah foretells. And now that we have the puzzle cover, the box cover, we're going to go back and see what does it mean for us? What is the true and final picture here? And why is this such a great time of rejoicing? So glad you're with us. I hope you'll come back tomorrow and join us as we continue with our look at this prediction Isaiah. And this week, as we look forward to Christmas Day and we sing the Christmas carols, uh, Mary, did you know, and all the rest, take time to ponder the words you're singing. Think back to the Old Testament predictions that they're capturing in those, in those uh, phrases, those lyrics, and rejoice and celebrate that our Savior has come. Grace and peace to you today. We'll see you right back here tomorrow.